Hello, good morning. It's Catherine Colas here from simplyhormones.com. And I'm here today talking to Dr. Sharon Tate of Target Ovarian Cancer. Target Ovarian Cancer is a charity dedicated to achieving a long and good life for every woman diagnosed with ovarian cancer in the United Kingdom and working to improve diagnosis and treatment of this, this silent disease. Um, they have a challenge. Ovarian cancer in the United Kingdom today is characterized by low survival. We have the lowest survival rates in Europe. Low awareness, which is lack of understanding. Chronic underfunding, that means they're not getting the investment. Fragmentation means it's a piecemeal approach to research and patient care. And there is no national platform as such just yet. So there's no research grant for them. To me, that looks quite grim. And it seems to me that whatever stats I look at for whatever degenerative disease, the over 50s seem to be prime candidates. And I feel that by helping to raise awareness of ovarian cancer and the challenges to overcome it, we can help reduce the incidence of this dreadful disease, particularly in the most vulnerable age group, which just happens to be mine. Good morning, Dr. Tate. Good morning. So let's, let's get uh, some answers for the listeners about ovarian cancer. How familiar do you think people are with the symptoms? Well, Catherine, um, awareness of ovarian cancer and in particular its symptoms is very low amongst women. And um, we know from a big piece of research that we did last year called the Target Ovarian Cancer Pathfinder Study mm. that only about 4% of women are confident in naming a symptom of ovarian cancer. Right. That's very low, isn't it? It is. And um, this tends to be the case for women of all age groups. Women who are slightly younger, say in the age 16 to 34, are a little bit less confident in naming symptoms than women who are more mature, say age 55 or over. But overall, awareness across all the age groups is poor. Poor, yes. Mm. Can you tell us about the most common symptoms? And are they the same across the board in the different age groups? Well, the symptoms most commonly experienced by women of all ages who are diagnosed with ovarian cancer include an increase in abdominal size or persistent mm -hmm. bloating. So this is not the kind of bloating that tends to come and go and fluctuate like women experience, say, yeah. around their period or if they have food intolerances. It's not like that. Mm. They also experience persistent pelvic or abdominal pain, so in the tummy or below. And mm -hmm. many of them experience difficulty eating or feeling full quickly. And those three tend to be the major symptoms. Yeah. However, occasionally women do experience urinary symptoms. So this may mean that they need to pass water more urgently or perhaps more often than usual. Yeah. Many women uh, experience changes in bowel habits. So this may include ongoing diarrhea or constipation. Mm. And also extreme fatigue and back pain are symptoms that women do experience. It's important to bear in mind as well that that list that I've just reeled off is not a checklist per se. No. So women don't have to be able to go down it and say, yes, I've got that got one, that, that one, and that. that one. Yeah. Um, we because know many... a lot, if I just interject there, because some of those symptoms you've mentioned uh, cross over into menopausal symptoms as well. That's right, they do. Yeah. And that that is one of the challenges with ovarian cancer, that that list of symptoms is common to many conditions yeah. that are not caused by cancer. What we advise women is that they should seek advice from their GP if in particular their symptoms are new for them, so they've never experienced this kind of symptom before. Also, if they experience them on most days, mm -hmm. and also if the symptoms are getting worse over the days and weeks. 
So the yeah. symptoms, once they start, they won't tend to fluctuate. They will tend to progressively get worse and be there continuously. Yeah. yeah. And there is a terribly low survival rate with this disease. Why is that? And how can we improve recovery? Well, ovarian cancer is an extremely challenging disease to diagnose and also treat, and many factors do contribute to keeping the survival rates low. However, a lack of awareness of symptoms, both amongst women and also medical professionals, is now recognized to be a really key issue. And we do know that women often experience misdiagnosis, and by the time they are actually diagnosed, their disease has spread well beyond the ovary, making it more challenging to treat and yes. giving the most successful outcome. Yes. But on a more positive note, what we do know also is that among the women who are diagnosed when their disease is confined to the ovary, mm-hmm. the survival rates are significantly improved. So that yes. would be our our goal, really, trying to diagnose women when their cancers are at a stage where it hasn't started yes. to spread beyond the ovary. Yeah. So it, it's really up to women to be um, not so much vigilant, but to be persistent when they if they really feel. That, and I think women know their bodies, don't they? they? They feel there is something that's that's causing them problem, even if the doctor says, no, it's this or it's that and it's nothing to worry about. Uh, if women can be more persistent themselves and say, look, I'm not happy. I really think it's something more serious. Who can I see? And maybe they'll get a bit more attention. Absolutely. And I mean, we do speak to women all the time that face these sorts of challenges who aren't being listened to. And I mean, we would advise them if where possible to get a second opinion. And if it's at all possible for them, if they can't get that within their local NHS services, if it is at all feasible, then perhaps to seek, say, private consultation. It might expedite their diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. And just moving on a bit, most of us are familiar with cervical smears. Can ovarian cancer be detected through smear tests like this? Um, It's a very common misconception that the smear test can detect ovarian cancer. About 50% of women believe this to be the case. However, it's not. And the smear test is actually designed just to detect abnormalities in the cells of the cervix. Mm. And importantly, the, the smear test is actually designed to try and detect abnormalities before they even become cancerous. So at a stage when they're easily treatable before they can progress on and become cancerous. At the moment, there is no national screening program available for ovarian cancer as there is for breast and cervical cancer. So as we've just discussed, really the best thing women can do is to understand their own bodies and Mm. know what is normal for them. And obviously this changes as you go through life and obviously what was normal for a woman prior to menopause isn't necessarily the same as after the menopause but they will get used to what is their current state of normal as we like to call it and if anything deviates from that then we really encourage them to Mm. report potential symptoms to their GP as soon as they can. Yes it it might be a nice idea sometime in in the future when money is more available to for women over 50 like they're invited in to to have um, uh, a, a mammography that they could also be invited in for the, the cervical smears, the ovarian cancer tests, and, and whatever, and get them all over because it's it's such uh, because it's that age group, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, at the moment in the UK, there are two clinical trials ongoing to assess the efficacy um, of the the tests that we yeah. have for ovarian cancer and to see if it is 
feasible to roll these tests out as part of a national screening program. Oh, right, yes. But we won't know those results for at least another five years. So no. <laughs> in the meantime, yeah. vigilance and symptoms awareness is absolutely key. Yeah, yeah. And going back to diagnosis, we expect our GPs to know so much, don't we? And, uh, and perhaps that's why there is misdiagnosis. Uh, do they get trained in, in recognising symptoms for ovarian cancer? Well, as I mentioned earlier on, it's only in recent years that we've had any evidence to show that women with ovarian cancer do experience symptoms. symptoms yeah. And so unfortunately, at the moment in the UK, what has happened is most GPs are unaware of the recent developments in research and they wouldn't mm. recognize the symptoms that I spoke of just now as yeah. being potentially caused by ovarian cancer. And so although as an organization we are working very hard to update GP knowledge, we do mm. encourage all women to know the symptoms and if they are worried, in particular, to ask their GP to rule out ovarian cancer. You know, mm. say those words, get them on their radar, and we also advise women to take along a copy of our symptoms leaflet, which they can obtain from us, to help them explain their concerns, really. Yes, yes. If they've got it written down, it's so much more helpful, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, going into a scenario, what if a woman recognises these symptoms and goes to her GP, what, what's the next stage? What happens next? Well, in the first instance, the GP would order some tests. The two tests that are considered the gold standard for helping to diagnose ovarian cancer are a blood test called mm -hmm. CA125. And levels of CA125 in the blood can be increased by ovarian cancer. And also a test called a transvaginal ultrasound, or TVU. This is an internal scan, which is used basically to create a picture of the ovaries. And then this picture can then be examined basically for any abnormalities that may um, yes. exist. If these tests are positive, then the woman would be referred to the hospital to see a gynecologist for further tests because yes. in themselves these tests are I suppose a steer telling the GP what to do next. It wouldn't necessarily mean that they're both positive therefore you absolutely have yes. ovarian cancer no. but it's a good steer. Yes, yes. You, you have there's some questionable cells there. Yeah. And would then that ultimately result in a hysterectomy? Unfortunately, yes, for most yeah. women, because as I mentioned just now, by the time they're diagnosed, the cancer has spread well beyond the ovary. Yeah. And so what is required in most cases is very radical surgery, which yeah. includes removal of both ovaries, both fallopian tubes, the uterus, and also often the cervix. Very right. um, extensive surgery. Yeah. A total hysterectomy. Yes, that, that's quite drastic, isn't it? But um, obviously it's to save a life. Mm -hmm, that's right. um, yeah, I'd just like to move on a bit and briefly touch on the subject of funding. How can ordinary women help to raise funds for your research? Well, there are many things women can do if they'd like to support our work. I mean, it may be something like making a donation, which could be in the form of, say, a one-off gift or a monthly contribution. They may also like to take part in a challenge event. So, for example, in September, Target Ovarian Cancer will have a team of runners, which will include staff, supporters and trustees, taking part in the Adidas 5K Challenge in Hyde Park. Yeah. Or they may like to run their own fundraising events. And if they would like more ideas on what they could potentially do or support or materials to help facilitate that, yeah. then they might like to visit our website 
and or contact our fundraising team who'd be more than happy to support them with their fundraising. Yes, I noticed on your website you've got a super poster on there, haven't you, that, that people can print off and put in their place of work or um, their gym or wherever, can't they? That's right. Um, we have a range of awareness materials, including that particular poster and the symptoms leaflet, which are available, as you say, to download from our website, or they can order them from us free of charge and they'll get a nice glossy version of it. Mm. Often people will approach, say, their local library or community centre or any sort of social network that they're involved in and yes. create a display or people have been into their local pharmacies and asked them to display them in store. Yes. And we also have a booklet available called Let's Talk, which is full of hints and tips for raising awareness. Yes. We also run a course which accompanies that Let's Talk booklet, which really aims to give people practical skills and advice on how they can go out there and raise awareness if that's something yeah. they're motivated to do. We run these courses throughout the year at venues across the country, so anybody who's interested in attending can contact us and we can let them know when an event is being run in their area. Yeah, so, so there's lots of scope for everybody to do absolutely anything really, isn't there? Absolutely, and I think in a way for some people raising awareness is a new concept. People are very familiar with the concept of raising money. Yeah. But actually these two activities go very much hand in hand. If you're fundraising, then what does it hurt to give somebody a leaflet? That's right, yeah, And absolutely. so we, we see them very much as a partnership, but to some people it might be a bit more unusual to think about raising awareness. Yes, yeah. yeah. That's excellent. I think we've we've covered a lot there in our quite short conversation, and I could probably talk to you ad infinitum about everything. <laughs> but uh, but thank you so much for the opportunity of talking with you and explaining everything clearly. And I just like to tell the listeners that the your charity details and website information will be listed at the end of the the transcript that always accompanies my podcast. Thank you once again, and I'll say goodbye. <laughs> Well, thank you and goodbye, Catherine. Thank you. Bye-bye.